Hey, everybody. Hey. How's it going out there? Good. 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 Glad, <laughs> glad to hear. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, tell somebody about the podcast. Let them know how awesome it is, how much they're missing out on all the cool people we talk to. And follow all of our social media platforms. Also, please like, subscribe, follow on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those good places to listen. We're also on YouTube, I guess. You might be listening to this on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So subscribe to us there if you want to. There is no video yet, but you can listen to it there. Some people have been. Yeah, so our guest today is Rob McQueen. Rob is a military combat veteran. He did a lot in the military. He talks about all that in the podcast. Yes. Uh, he was in for 15 years, I believe he said. Commissioned officer. Yep. And then when he got out, he started doing some humanitarian work, which he's still currently doing for Waves for Water and the Clean Water Corps. And yeah, pretty interesting dude. Had a good conversation with him. Yeah. Basically, he fucks. He he definitely fucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, hope you guys enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And we will talk to you later. Love you. Where do we start? Um, <laughs> I was, we've already was, had a whole conversation. Let's just fucking start out. I, the, Let's start off where I got interrupted. Yes. Fucking social media. Yeah, I have an Instagram account. I started it when I started school two years ago. Just follow astrophysics pages and cosmology pages. That's my that's my major. So I was like, fuck yeah. And it turned into being friends with you and Benito on there. Uh-huh. And now the other half of my Instagram time spent is sending ridiculous, horrible memes to you guys. <laughs> Dude, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like memes that get deleted after you send them. Yep. Well, <laughs> I, said, I sent you one the other day and you didn't even get to see it. I didn't and it get got to deleted. see it. It was like two minutes. It's like, <laughs> nope. No, it's social media can suck you in for sure. Like you were saying, it was just for one purpose and then it spiraled. Yeah. It's, it has its ups and downs. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're getting emotional responses, which is what they want. Yeah. Well, you know, and I was telling watch the social dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that was a big one for me, um, especially because the, the one thing that stuck out and like having young daughters, my oldest daughter, we let get on social media, I think too early. I think we screwed up. We mm-hmm. let her on at 11. Okay. And, you know, and so we've watched her kind of go down this path and start creating other accounts and start ident- like kind of creating her own like virtual identity. That's yeah. not her. And then the influence that from the outside that comes with that is just getting just bombarded every single day. So, like, I think what stood out to me in the social dilemma was that one graph where they're talking about artificial intelligence. They're talking about that part when it's going to reach and like, hey, this is going to surpass human strength. Uh-huh. And everyone thought about that forever. Like, when are we going to deal with Skynet? When are we going to have yeah. time traveling Terminators hunting us down? But we forgot about the part where it's like that algorithm can just make us feel really lonely and sad and and the surpass human weakness and that we're already past that. So it's learned how to manipulate us to the point of where you want my attention. Here's how I do it. And we'll mm-hmm. just twist that knife a little bit and get you to, to seek some little, little blue, blue light glow and feel good yeah. about yourself. Yeah. It's, it's insane. So I, I was telling Kevin about this last week because for this podcast, I made social media profiles for all of them. <clears throat> and one social media 
thing I don't know anything about is that fucking TikTok. <laughs> but I'm thinking, okay, the more people see the name of our podcast, the better. Mm-hmm. So I created a TikTok for, I'm like, I'm not going to make any videos of me dancing or anything. Maybe I should. That might get some hits. But, <laughs> but I created one just so the name is out there. And my wife <clears throat> is obsessed with TikTok. She doesn't make them, but she's, she'll scroll through them yeah. forever. And I'm always telling her, like, why are you wasting your time? So my dumb ass downloads it on my phone. And here I am sitting there scrolling through videos. <laughs> and I caught myself like, oh, shit. Out of any social media platform I've ever seen, it's addic- more oh, yeah. addicting. Because they have their own algorithm of shit, depending on what you like or how long you're watching something, that more of those videos will pop up. And, of course, on my feed, it's a bunch of, like, girls with big asses dancing and stuff. I was just going to say, that's exactly what it is. And and then every now – and there's some shit on there that's creative. Like, that's one thing I like about social media. It allows people to be creative. There's some cool – people do some cool stuff on there. But but it's – I to the point now, I'm not even looking at it because I'm sitting there scrolling through pointless shit for – not for hours or anything, but for too long for me. Because yeah. with something like Instagram, I can scroll through that. And once I see the people I follow, it's done and I'm done. I don't yeah. – but on <clears throat> on something like that, it's not even people you follow. It's just video after video. As long and, as you're scrolling, yeah, they're going to keep coming. You got to understand like the philosophy behind <clears throat> what is right and what's wrong, because more is not better. Absolutely not. I mean, if you go back and listen to Alan Watts, dude, like I'm big into philosophy, and he was a major breakthrough in understanding like happiness and what you really really need, and you don't need that shit. No. Like I've been most healthy in my life in places that weren't healthy for me. Yeah. You know, you're in Iraq or Afghanistan. I, I don't know about me about now, but I was over there. What? Oh, eight until I was 11. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we still didn't just have like phones. It was just us dudes, yep. fucking guns and missions. That's like it. you have the bare bones you need in life and you find, so you find yourself, you have that, the, you have, you find how to be intimate, you know, with other guys and find out who they really are. And you have a purpose. You have a mission every day. Mm-hmm. You know, something to, to look forward to or not look forward to, but you don't have all the other distractions that really are not making you better. Like you can, it's weird because so many people say, I found myself the most and the best times of my life were when I was in bad situations. Yeah, absolutely. But you didn't have all this other shit that's depressing us and making mm-hmm. us feel not we're not good enough. You know? Yeah, it's, I, I'm not a fan of social media, you yeah. know? It's it's really. kind of ups and downs. Well, for so. the comedy aspect, I like laughing with you guys and saying yeah. you fucking crazy shit. Yeah. That's honestly, I'm, you know, that's why I still have it. And now, like, now I'm finding guys I was served in with like, my first deployment and I'm finding a minor. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. Like, now I can't get rid of this because I love this guy. And, like, we start talking again, you know, and he's got kids now, too. Like, like me and Yabara have been talking, like, almost every day across mm-hmm. Instagram. And it's like, we haven't talked for a long time. Yeah. This is a dude that, like, like... He's been next to me, like right next to me, watching me fucking shoot motherfuckers. Mm. I've watched him drop more than motherfuckers, even when he almost dropped some on some kids. Like we <laughs> do, like like we didn't. A lot of times we didn't even get along. Like we got mad at each other, but it's like no, I've always got his fucking back. Like you were talking about earlier, like and to be able to talk to him like all the time on Instagram now is like that's fucking awesome. Like, yeah, I love this guy. I miss him. You know, it's a good way to connect. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I agree because it keeps me in touch with all my boys, like from from previous platoons, companies, teams, whatever it is. Like, yeah, in touch with that crew, and you get the good news and the bad news, and like, and I've found like that that prospect of it, or just the ability to like, hey, let's reach out and like touch base with this guy. He's not doing so well. The ability to kind of mobilize a group of people to help is huge. Mm-hmm. And I think like back to what you said too, talking about Watts and like happiness, like purpose is critical to that. And yeah. I think that's 
that's one of the most interesting things when you look at just humanity and who we are. Like the success and happiness is found in the struggle. And people don't really understand that because I'll, I'll add right on to it. I, I completely agree with you. Like Iraq, Afghanistan, like on mission, clarity of purpose, a group of people that are willing to give their life for the same purpose on the team. There's nothing better than that. Yeah. Like you can't find anything better than that. But what you do find even moving past that, like a lot of the work and travel I've done recently, like I've been in the middle of the jungle in the Amazon where there is nothing. And there's <laughs> a group of people that live as far off as you can get. They've lived there for hundreds of years. They're happy. And like we go in there and like help them with a small problem. They're like, oh, this is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Like you can see like the light go on and like you've done something good. But the reality is, is they were already happy. Mm -hmm. Like they're living their life. They're in the struggle day to day. They, all they want is a little bit of family, a little bit of life, community. And they just want to keep moving day to day and find a little bit of success. You mm -hmm. know, whatever that is, if it's survival or if it's, hey, maybe today I don't have to walk as far to get a bucket of water. Or maybe tomorrow I don't have to rethatch this roof. Like just something simple. And they're happier than half the motherfuckers I know here in the U.S. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They like, might be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, you honestly, yeah. Yeah. You can't find happiness in materialism. No. And vanity and fucking, uh, you know, coveting what other people want or what the people have. Because that's just causing you to be unhappy. Yep. I want what they want. It's like, well, maybe they want what you have. Maybe they want a simple life. Maybe they just mm -hmm. want to be a good person. Like, yeah. Yeah, but it's totally, yeah, you don't see people in these tribes around fucking committing suicide every day. No. I just can't do it. Like, no. They're they're in the moment. They're yeah. living in their mo in the moment, you know, and a lot of us are not living in the moment. No. You know? I don't know if Americans know how to live in the moment anymore. It's like or even just Western Western civilization yeah. where it's become I mean, we are the most privileged, entitled, spoiled like section of humanity that has ever existed. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know. Like unless you've been places and been in the place where you are forced to shed everything else you know and just be at that place in time, I don't think you know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's why you see so many combat veterans, you can say, have eclectic personalities. Oh, yeah. Because if you're not holding on to the ego and you can be vulnerable, which you've been – from day one of basic, you're vulnerable. Oh, yeah. I'm awesome. No, you're not, yeah. motherfucker. Beat your face. Like – and because we can find vulnerability so quickly, we can easily go learn something new. Yeah. Like I can be 30 and like, Hey, I'm going to go, go to college with a bunch of 19 year olds, you know, or I can go learn a different language. Like you, you always go do something different because it, you don't have that holding you back anymore. Yeah. And some people still do and they have to refine it. But and that's a big, that's a big issue with people is cause I'm a genuine person. Like we talk about this a lot. Like I piss a lot of people off because <laughs> I just, what I say is what I say, yeah. but you know where you stand. And so the more ingenuine I'm when I meet somebody, the more it just pisses me off. Yeah. Like it's always a fake conversation. Like, how you doing? Like <laughs> everything's just kind of like scripted and yep. it just irritates me. So then the first thing I do is give them a hard time, break them, break their armor down. Yep. Like, Hey motherfucker, like sweet pants. <laughs> like just anything you think of, like, <laughs> like, would you buy this baby gap? Like, and just break them down a little bit. You know, that's why I love like, like Benito, Benito just, his brother-in-law just breaks a motherfucker down and you know who they are pretty yeah, quick. He was on two ago. I guess it would have been two episodes ago. Yeah. And it's funny because that episode's doing really well. Yeah. And out of so far the episodes we've had, typically somebody like him who a lot of people don't know because we've had some people that have a little following. Those episodes do pretty well. Yeah. We've had a couple of just our friends that came on and they did okay, but the, the downloads weren't as high. But with him, which he has... He's he's my brother-in-law. He's been a friend of ours since we were kids. Yeah, he has this personality that everybody loves him, no matter if it's a job or whatever. People fucking love the guy. And now even in a fucking podcast, people yeah. that don't know him, he's getting a lot of downloads. Yeah, I told him that too. I'm like, what? The, what is it about you? 
And he's like, I'm funny. What can I'm I funny, dude. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, he's a freak of nature. We used to, on football, we played football together. They used to call him Circus. <laughs> fucking Circus. Because yeah. he, like, one time he had the shit during practice. <laughs> You better fucking run, circus. <laughs> and the fact that he's a, a heavy set guy, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. and he'd come in the gym and do like legless fucking rope climbs, dude, like just a beast, fucking freak. He he yeah. will knock out pull ups, and he's he's a little bigger than I am. I can barely do a, a pull up, and he'll get up there and just crank him out. He's a freak. Yeah. It's it's Fuck insane, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've got like five bands around my feet to help me get up, and <laughs> yeah. I got Jesus fucking everything, dude. <laughs> Anything to get me off the ground. Yeah. Like, just, dear Lord, help Tom me get Cruise. this pull-up in. So, yeah. so you were in the military, obviously. Yep. We're talking about that. Um, we can talk about that. I'd like to. But yep. So, you were talking about being in the Amazon. What is it you do with wa- waves? Water. Water? Yeah. So, uh, following active duty in the military, um, I switched to the reserves. And then I uh, really, it's kind of a long story how I got there. But I was asked to build a veteran division inside the organization Waves for Water. So I was like, do I not want to go work for a former pro surfer and travel around the world doing humanitarian missions? Absolutely. So I'm mm-hmm. in. So I dropped my packet. I got out of active duty. Uh, and then I took over. I built a veteran division called the Clean Water Corps. So I've got 40 veterans I send all over the world. And this is all pre-COVID. So we can talk the, the transition post-COVID. Yeah. We're still there. But, you know, they just like all unknown profits. Like we got hit pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, so 40 veterans take all over the world. I think we've done 27 countries at this point. Uh, 10 or 11 natural disasters. Uh, and it's just amazing the whole point was purpose like when i left i was like this is great i'm gonna go build this thing i'm gonna help all these other people these other vets that need purpose but i'm good i'm golden i left this shit clean and then like three months into it i'm like maybe i'm not doing so hot you know but i you know i just pushed myself into work like kind of traveled my ass off like just worked traveled partied and i was like this is the new life uh and then like i was sitting i was down in hurricane maria about a year after Maria, about six months after Maria, I'm sitting on uh, far on the west coast of Puerto Rico. And I just fucking lost it, man. Like, broke down. I was like, holy shit, what the fuck happened to me? And kind of went back through it and did the first, I think the first time I've ever sat down and actually written anything. And I just like, call it self-diaring, whatever the fuck it is. Like, mm-hmm. I went and just wrote down my feelings. Like, how the hell did I get here? Like, what happened to my life? And I found myself sitting there staring at the ocean, watching my buddy surf and just being like, I don't even know how I got here. I don't know who I am. I don't know how I lost so much touch with humanity. I don't know what I'd become. It wasn't like I was messed up. Like it just, I didn't understand how to connect with people anymore. I didn't realize I wasn't connecting with my family. And then being in Hurricane Maria, like going through the disaster, which is a fucking shit show being in San Juan during Hurricane Maria. Yeah. Cat five hurricane. It's a blast. If you ever get a chance to do it, <laughs> woo, she's a story. And then heading around with who are now some of my best friends and their family and their sons, like, going apartment to apartment, breaking into some apartment buildings, trading a little security for fuel, for generators. Like, going and all this fun stuff I learned in Sears school. Yeah. And, like, w- with kids and a grandmother and dogs and a family. And, like, going through that process. And then staying and, and actually, like, not just helping these people recover from the disaster, but actually going through that. It's almost like it reset me. You know, it went back to all the trauma and the experience that we loved in combat. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, like, was able to go through that and then actually go through this like long process of kind of like rebuilding and like realizing watching all these people that had lost anything. And for once I didn't cause it yeah. and actually like being with them and being able to help them. And in turn, like it ended up helping myself. And so I think that was just one of the coolest things that in this journey of waves for water. And I don't even think I answered your fucking question. I went on like <laughs> yeah. a total tire. No, that's, that. that's cool. But uh, yeah. So um, what I do uh, after my tired of, of finding myself again on the beaches of Puerto Rico <laughs> uh, 
the uh, I am the field operations director for Waves for Water and the director of the Clean Water Corps. So we do access to clean water all over the world, uh, specialize in remote and austere environments, uh, and then also in natural disasters. Oh, cool. Because I think you take a vet, and especially like a lot of the guys we have are former special operations guys or, or infantry and have a lot of experiment experience. And it's like you can drop them off in the middle of nowhere and they can figure it out. Yeah. That's, that's what we do well. That's, that's kind of funny what you were just talking about because Kevin recently is going through that process as well of reconnecting yeah. with people. We were just talking about this before you got yeah. here. I didn't realize. I'm one of those guys who got out <laughs> and I was like, oh, PTSD. Like they put on a record, <laughs> but I'm like, I'm good. I'm yeah. happy. Golden. And, uh, until like, you know, I see a, a you know, my counselor at the vet center who himself is a, obviously a veteran, yeah. you know, and, and he just like, he just fucking tears me apart. And most yeah. of the time I just avoid shit. So I don't even know, like, I'm fine. See, yeah. like, I don't even know I'm coming here. And then he's just like, nah. And so what, one of the things is like, I just started, like, I'm on like a low dose of SSRI. I'm also on medication for my testosterone. Okay. So I did find out, actually, I found out, like over two years ago, my doctor, and I didn't fucking listen. It's like, no, I think I'm pretty sure you have blast injuries and I bet you your testosterone's low. Yep. And go figure I had a 360 and yeah. at 28 years old. For someone who was an athlete his whole life, that's not a good that's number. super low, man. And uh, he's like, I need you at 800. And so five or six weeks ago, I finally fucking did it. And day five, everything hits me at once, like emotions. Like all of a sudden I'm feeling love, empathy, yep. and I'm craving intimacy and I'm like, holy shit. Like, and it's hitting me all at once and it's yep. been years. So it's like overwhelming. I'm completely avoiding you know? the entire thing that you're talking about. right <laughs> Yeah. <now. laughs> Dude. He and, even told me in a text that he loved me, which is yeah. funny. Cause I'm one of those guys. I'll tell my friends. I love them. Yeah, of course. I've always been that way. And I, I legitimately mean it. Yeah. I fucking love my friends and family and whatever. I'm, I've always told people I love them. And anytime like Kevin's leaving my house or whatever, love you. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Love you, dude. Uh huh. <laughs> Love you. Thanks. Say it back. So, like, <laughs> through all this the other day, in yeah. a text, he's like, dude, I love you, man. I was like, holy shit. I, I didn't yeah. know what to say. It was, it's, it, but it's cool to see because I've, I've known him for a long time and I've seen him go through the transition after the yeah. military over the years. And it's, it's kind of cool to see, like, you're almost finding yourself as great right. as that sounds. Because, yeah, when you're zero is someone else's five, your <clears> brain is shutting off certain parts of your Yep. Parts of your brains are being shut off because you don't need those to survive. Nope. I don't need fucking love or empathy to run and kill a motherfucker. And, and fact, get, it hurts. And get you out. You don't want that. No. Yeah. Like, you don't need those emotions. You'll be able to kill someone that's in front of you and in your way and get the fuck out of there. You yeah. know, like, so when your brain's just always there and all of a sudden, yeah, it, like, it was too rapid of a, a switch. Yeah. Because it just hit me all at once and I was like, I fucked my whole life up. You know, I've been, what have I been doing? You know, I should have done this over two years ago when he told me. Like, every time I go and see my doctor, he's like, so you going to do it? Like, <laughs> it's like, no, I prom- I will. Like, I've started intermittent fasting and fasted cardio. I'm getting my testosterone up on my own, dude. <laughs> Eating fucking oysters and shit. Like, I'm doing magnesium, D3, zinc, you know, DHEA. And it's still, and I honestly got myself up to a 500. Like, That's good, though. Busted my ass through diet, gluten-free. Yeah. And he was like, you still, you have the symptoms. You need to be at 800. I was like, all right, let's fucking do it. And, dude, I've been feeling great. Ever since, you know, yeah, it's yeah. funny. It's funny you say that because a good buddy of mine, like we're uh, we both do some contract work together on the side, and we ended up having to drive to Louisiana, which is a fucking terrible drive from here, and probably the worst military stupidity I've ever heard in my life. But it's another <laughs> conversation. Uh, but we're right, and he's like, "Dude, you need to be on test." He's like, "I can tell you right now, you're low." I was like, "Stop!" He's like, "I've been on this forever. It's fucking great." 
He's like, go do test it. I was like, nah, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but like the more I talked to him, I was like, fuck, I should probably go do it. It's like, for some reason in my mind, I'm like, I want to wait till I'm 40. Right. I, want, for, I need that's, to make it to 40, that's what I you know, because I don't want to get in too early because I know once I get on it, I'm going to be on it for the rest of my life. Like, I don't want to trick my body and do that. Like, I just want to stay with it because for me, like, I, w- I never got on like test or, or juice or anything else. But when I went to Iraq in 07, I was in their 07, 08. So I did 15 month pump in 07. And I went from 175 pounds of like lean running young second lieutenant to like 225 pounds of just fucking angry smash direct action <laughs> muscle. Yeah. And I was like, all I want to do is smash and shoot things like this is the body. And I got back and when I didn't have the time or the control over the diet and literally I made my day was eat, patrol, operation, like lift. That was my cycle every single goddamn day. When I came back to the real world and I got a wife, I got a new kid and all these other things, all of a sudden I was like, dude, my body crashed. Like I couldn't maintain it. My testosterone fell through the floor. I didn't even go test it. It fell through the floor. Yeah. Like every piece of it, like every piece of the entire process. And at that point I was getting ready to go to selection and I was getting ready to go to the captain's career course. Like I had all these things and everything was moving fast. Before we left there, my company had taken over as an XO. My company's already tapped to go to Afghanistan. So we're heavy into a training cycle right after a 15 month deployment. My wife was like, you got to figure this shit out. She's like, this is not what I signed up for. Like you're leaving at four o'clock in the morning. You're going to work out. Then you're going to regular PT. Then you're with them until five or six at night. And then you're getting back at eight. And like, you have a brand new nine month old. You have me. You've been gone for 15 months. Like what the shit is this? Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like the first wake up call. And it's like, you know, you have those wake up calls. Yeah. And that was the first one. I was like, fuck, I got to take a, take a look at myself. And the first thing I looked at, kind of like you did, I looked at my diet. I looked at how I was treating myself. Because I couldn't maintain that shit. Like you said, the cleanest and easiest I've ever been is in Iraq. Yeah. Like the best shape I was ever in was getting back from Afghanistan. Yeah. The second you get back, everything changes. And you're working out in fucking pallets and rocks. Fuck yeah. And it's amazing. You're yeah. walking. I mean, you did like, I think we walked like a thousand miles in six months. Like <laughs> yeah. I had my GPS going. I finally turned it off. It's like, fuck me. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those things where like, it's the best you ever feel. Yeah. I was like, I was running, I was part of uh, VSO operations in, in Afghanistan. Okay. I was part of a small joint special operation team that was fucking rat. Some SEALs, some SIAP guys, some CA guys, my team. It was just a blast. Mm-hmm. But like you get back from that and all of a sudden your day is not the same. It is super like I have to manage two daughters and a wife. I now yeah. have to manage training for the next mission and picking up a new team. And I have to manage everything. And it's like you don't realize what that shift in priorities or even just mental state does to your body. And you feel it every single time. It's brutal, man. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah. And yeah, in our, in our Western culture, we don't acknowledge that, especially in America, because we've been built off of, fuck, you don't tell me what to do. I will fuck your ass up. Yes. So we're built that that's what a man is. Mm-hmm. And a man is not someone who knows how to be intimate with somebody no. or knows how to have the right conversations with their kids. You know, it's more just about duty. Yeah. A man is about duty in our country. Are you going to be there for them and supply them with what they need? And that's your only job, you yeah. know, and that's. That's a third of it, dude. That's, yeah, at most, you know, and so that's, that's what's kind of, I think, weird about, you know, because people talk about a lot, like, you know, like, with especially like veterans, I guess, like talking about their bullshit mm-hmm. or their PTSD, or whatever. It's like, well, it's not a crutch. You're yeah. resolving and you're working through shit to understand because that's, I mean, the Native Americans did it and they're really fucking good at it. Yeah. You know, and they were still warriors at heart. Yeah. You can have both, you can have the duality and you need it. I think I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I, but I think that's also a challenge like in the current day and age because yeah. the warrior mentality – and I think if you look at a lot of uh, – we do work on the Navajo. 
uh, reservation. I just had a team get back from there last week. And uh, one of my, my number two in the core, incredible dude, 23 years, special ops, special forces, like just one of the best dudes I've ever known. Uh, and he's Cherokee. And so he goes, look, you got to understand. He's like, imagine being the baddest warriors that you know in the world. And then all of a sudden, you're no longer that warrior. You're told, to, here's your fence. Here's your line. Here's mm-hmm. what it is. You're taking away that warrior piece. And I couldn't agree with you more. You have to be that warrior in the middle where it's like your family. Your family's first. You know how to connect. You know how to be intimate. I think that in the end, that makes you a better warrior. And I think if you go back and read anything from fucking Tactics and Clauschwitz all the way down to Sun Tzu, it, it's all in there. But when you really step back and look at it, like what we're doing now is we're removing the warrior thought process. Mm. So, and you find, you find me a warrior, let alone like a mix and a true renaissance of that piece. Let find me a warrior in the younger generations these days. Mm. Oh yeah. It is. I've seen one, I've met one or two and I'm like, you're a fucking unicorn. Where did you come from? (laughs) Yeah. Like, holy shit. Like I've got three daughters and I don't know what the hell they're going to be dating. Yeah. yeah. Cause I watch this stuff and it's like, oh, masculinity is so bad. It's like masculinity is great because masculinity in the truest sense of the word is exactly what you said. I'm a caregiver. I'm a provider. I'm mm-hmm. a protector. Like it's, it's that mix of everything. And that, I mm-hmm. think that really truly is what a warrior is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not, look at it that way. no, it's not the guy who can grow a beard and wear a plaid shirt and deadlift 400 pounds nope. and act tough. Like that's, you're not a man. No. Found us out firsthand the night my son was born and I fucking rolled a dude up for pissing on my car. And he was one of those <laughs> definitely taller than me, bigger than me. Had to have his stupid fucking lumberjack beard. And I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. And I did that. Yeah. That was fucking awesome. These girls saw it. They made me feel good about it. The cops didn't do anything bad to me. Yep. They was like, get the fuck out of here. Son was born. Awesome night. But like that, we're, we're filled with a whole generation of those people. Yes. They don't know what it means to be a man. Nope. Because their dads didn't either. And they're raising them to be that way. Yep. Or they're not raising them. They're not fucking there. Yeah. They're yeah. like, hey, I'm going to my job all day. Like, yep. cool. Are you teaching your son how to do any skills? Like, or what does he know how to do? Does he have any tradecraft? Fuck no. But tradecraft isn't even like, and I, dude, I couldn't agree more, but tradecraft's not even appreciated in society. No, no, it's if not. You're, if you're good at tradecraft, if you're good at fieldcraft, if you can get out and do that, and you're, you're a prepper, man. Well, yeah. easy, yeah. easy. Yeah. Why don't you just like integrate into what everyone else wants to be? Let's, let's hang out in that thought process. Stop doing things that are outside and scary with guns and yeah. mm-hmm. bows and killing animals. Being over specialist. Exactly. Being over specialist. Yeah. Well, Be good at one thing and worthless at everything else. Exactly. Even in just like the trades in general. Oh. <clears throat> like my line of work, I'm a truck driver. The younger generation, they're not doing that. No. They're not doing anything like that. So like we at our company, we have a really hard time finding yeah. new, young, healthy guys to yep. come work. Because most of the truck drivers are older. They're close to retirement age. Yep. They're out of shape. They've been doing it for a million years. I've been the youngest guy at the company I work for. I've been there for six years, and I was the youngest guy up until about six months ago. We hired yep. a guy who was the same age I got when I was I got hired. I was twenty six, and I was so amazed. Was, Holy shit! I'm not the youngest guy anymore. So I think it's it's hard to find the younger generation doing doing manual labor or a trade. Yeah, that's why like I'm happy I got my CDL because <laughs> yeah, like. You know, when I graduate next year with my physics degree, I might be able to make more money just going to be a truck driver, dude. Like, <laughs> Most likely. Yeah. the chances yeah. are, I mean, if you were thinking about like NASA and space, I mean, how many interns there are, there's very little full-time oh, yeah. salaried, mm-hmm. you know, guys in physics at NASA and in, and in mechanical engineers. Mm-hmm. And they're always the ones coming out of the great, these aren't guys coming out of BSU. No. So I would most likely put be put in a position where I'm working for a bank or a credit card company writing yeah. algorithms and shit like that. It's like, I would rather be an ass kicker at something and not yeah. be in a desk writing fucking numbers all day. Nope. I love astrophysics. 
not fucking math, not physics, not accounting, mm-hmm. you know, like, so I just like, maybe just go drive a truck for a little bit, dude, make 30 bucks an hour. Just, well, know, it's, it's one of those like, things that like, no one wants to do it. Most so. of the people that are good at any of those jobs, whether it's truck driving or welding or whatever, they already have jobs. Yep. They're working. So companies who are looking for people can't find anybody because no. the good ones have jobs. And the ones you do find they're they're subpar. It's, it's not good. We've dealt with it at our company a lot, but no, I want to go back to what you were talking about, like raising, like what your daughters will be dating yeah. <clears throat> or yeah, being, yeah. you know, it's, I, I have two boys and it's, it's our generation of guys. I think we raise our children different than our, our parents did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I go back, I think about my dad, he was a pretty good example of showing like you can have some emotion, but like I would see the way he would treat my mom. And I mean, he was yeah emotionally there for her always. always. Yeah. So I've taken on that same thing on and I'm trying to raise my boys. Like if you're going to cry, cry, it's all right to cry. Um, but also, when it's time to be tough, you got to be tough. Yeah. You, you got to be a man, quote unquote, you know. Uh, and that's that's hard nowadays because the t- whole toxic masculinity. And yeah, there is guys who are so, uh, I'm so fucking masculine. That can be toxic it's, for yeah. sure. Narcissism I, is toxic. I yeah. would also argue that they're not actually masculine. Uh, 100%. Yeah. And, and that's what me and Tad talked about therapist he's like those aren't alpha males no. like that that is the guy who's terrified and he's scared yeah. and he's hurting and mm-hmm. nobody loves him and so he's not secure yeah. if he's not secure he can't take care of anybody else therefore he's not an alpha male no like if i you was know? to put on a bear costume and grab a baseball bat and go smashing windows downtown they'd be like oh we need to really line out we got an issue with bears <laughs> it's like no you have an issue with an asshole in a bear suit yeah like let's be realistic about this like but the problem is it fits the narrative yeah and everything now fits the narrative and it's yeah. about power and it's about influence and it's all the things that i spent so many years dealing with and looking at from a you know a, a mission perspective and a you know what is in the interest of national security like how do we leverage influence how do we leverage power how do we do these things to you know prevent a larger conflict or how do we use it to you know isolate fix the people that we want to remove from the battlefield how do we use these things and i just see it in the u.s and just pisses me the fuck off yeah yeah it's like it's removing conversations it is making it difficult to actually find a common ground because when you say what somebody is at their core, or what's something that was raised to be like, my dad was the same way. My mm-hmm. dad is a straight up alpha male. Mm-hmm. I've got two younger sisters and he was there for them. He's incredibly supportive of my mother. They've been married 30 plus years. Yeah. Um, to this day, I mean, we have fights obviously going on to this day. He's still one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, he was hard on me. Like, yeah. He held me to a standard, like, but he was also supportive when I needed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not at the point where he's like, it's okay to cry. He was like, pick yourself up, toughen the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it wasn't in a way that like made me feel bad. Right. Yeah. It was like, you need to be tougher. If you want to move forward, if you want to survive, be tougher. Mm-hmm. And I still remember a few of the times that my dad was like, I made it through. He got me a job working concrete. I poured concrete for someone. He goes, I didn't think you could handle it. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. Later on, he's like, "Hey, you're a pretty good dude. I'm too bad. Too bad you have to go back to school. You're turning into not such a shitbag." You know? <laughs> like, but yeah. it's those things where it's like those stand out to me because he didn't give compliments just because he did not fill me up. I didn't succeed. He let me know, but he helped mm-hmm. me find a way to succeed. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there's a mix where we have all this bullshit where you have people pretending to be something they're not. They're pretending to be the people that are so tough, and they pick a fucking cause off the goddamn internet. Yep. Usually one that a girl tells them is important because yep. we all do stupid shit for women. Yep. Uh, and then they go so hard into it that you just get over the top. Yeah. And, and, it's, it's, and it's, they're finding causes because they're not dealing with their own shit. They're not fixing their own house first. Yep. And it's because like, oh, can you, how can you fix these problems? Like we talked about one of the, few, the last podcast was 
make sure our society is educated so we have a better society. Not fucking dumb. Don't talk down to us like the polish. The third grade level thing. Like, no, talk to us like we're fucking adults yep. and we're intelligent. And if someone's not intelligent enough to understand what you're saying, they need to seek that on their own. Right. You cannot force someone to learn. You cannot force someone into a sociology class in college. They'll learn more by seeking out on their own. Well, and I, but I think know. the key thing you just said, and you kind of went both ways on it. The first thing you said is like, we need a more educated population, right? And then you said intelligence. I'm going to make an argument right now. They're not the same thing. I know right. a lot of people who are educated that aren't fucking intelligent. No, they're fucking yeah, they're, they're, yeah. It's called, sure. it's called It's called educated idiots. Exactly. Yeah, right? Useful idiots. Yeah. Useful, I mean, Mark's nailed it right. Useful idiots. You got to yeah. have them. Get them. Make them think they're the cusp of society and then use them to do whatever you want them to do because they will follow whatever you tell them to do because that's what they learned over four years in college. Yeah. I spent seven years in college. Not a doctor. Was not a great student, but I made it through, you know, enough to enough to get a degree in commission. Mm-hmm. But it's like the reality of the entire thing is if you look at college now and, and to, to jump on what you said, and I think this sums it up. Uh, a good friend of mine, his incredible dude, his wife's incredible woman. She has her master's in education. She's teaching, I think she was teaching seventh grade, you know, making 45, 50 grand a year. Mm-hmm. When I got out, I got out of the military at Fort Polk, which is you know the worst place on the planet. <laughs> uh, but they had a program there for E five and below getting out. If you were E five and below getting out, there was two welding schools right there. The second you walked into that school, you were making seventy five grand. Shit. The second you walked in, two years of training, you were out at one hundred twenty grand. You already had a job working in all the natural gas and oil derricks, everything down south. Twenty five bucks a day per diem and like one hundred twenty five or one hundred seventy five k running, and you're twenty two years old. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation I had with my friend, she's like, they need to go to college. I was like, do you see the skill they have? Yeah. She could not understand that a non-college related skill, she's like, they're going to go blind from welding. I was like, you've got to think about this. They can go and take that skill anywhere. Mm -hmm. High-end composite welding, everything from like subsurface, high-end composite welding. You are a fucking, you could do anything, anywhere. You could take that skill to St. Bart's and live on the beach for the rest of your life with a shit ton of money and a bunch of island girls. Like there's no issues, but they don't understand because it's not college. Yeah. Explain to me how being able to do that talent, like that skill set is like, go get a fucking, I have a general studies degree. The fuck is that? Yeah. (laughs) Like that means I partied really hard. I have a bunch of minors. I failed out of mechanical engineering and I was like, it it does not, it does not mean I'm, but puts me way behind a dude that can go and like do high end welding. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? That's such a skill set. I think the trades yeah. are super important. Oh, they're going to be even more important. Even something like truck driving. I went through a truck driving school and just doing that, it was a six weeks course. I think I was in yeah. that. It made my life <clears throat> way better. Yeah. I, I had so many opportunities. And now with the, the miles I have and all that, I could get a job anywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> I could go anywhere in this country. I could go. 20 minutes in any direction and get yep. a job, which somebody with a college degree, that's not always the case. No. And I know there's a lot of people we went to high school with that went off to college. And <clears throat> when the economy was in the shit, they, they couldn't get jobs. Mm-hmm. And I had a job all the way through. I was always doing manual labor stuff, working towards trying to get my CDL and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it's, I think, and I think education is important as well. Absolutely. It's, it's good to know how to, I think it's good for a person to know how to do multiple things. And the great thing about the way their brain works is you don't fucking need someone to put it down your throat. You don't need to be yeah. in a class. You just need to say, have the intention. Cause you learn best that way when yeah. it's, I'm in control. Oh, yeah. What do I want to know? Oh, I'm going to go pick up three fucking books in French. I'm going to learn this motherfucker in three months. Dude, look like, at the tools we have to learn something on your own. It is unreal. Oh, it's insane. It's insane. Like I graduated mm-hmm. high school in 99. Like, are you kidding me? The amount of like what there is now, oh, there's no fucking way I would have gone to college. <laughs> there's no way. 
Because like you could, I could learn anything I want, and I, I'm, I am the, I'm exactly what you just said. If I don't give up, that's why I stayed in college forever. I couldn't find what I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. I can make my way through. Oh, my grandpa, he did this. He said maybe I'd like it. Yeah, I think I could do this. Yeah. But it's like unless you have passion for something, <clears throat> don't really learn it. And if you're if you're people like me, unless I have passion for something, I honestly couldn't give two shits. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm, I'm very similar when yeah. it comes to that. It's like. Like something like this podcast, for instance, I'm passionate about it. Yeah, I've, it's something I really want to do, and I learned how to do all this without going to any school. And obviously, we got a lot of learning to do. It's still, still all new to us. But between just the internet in general and yeah. YouTube, I've learned how to do this whole thing and get it out there to however many people are listening. Yep. I didn't have to go pay anybody to show me how to do this. It was something I really wanted to do. I, Kevin and I both jumped on board and we're doing it. Yep. And it's because of something. We wanted to do. Yeah. It's, and it's something you can, your kids see you doing. It's always <clears throat> putting passion to something. Maybe you passion to something. Yeah. And yeah. You can pass well, I've thought about that down. for a long time with my kids. My oldest son's 12. My youngest one's five. And I've, I've thought that when we were gearing up to do this, I'm like, I want them to see me going after things I want to do. So then they go after things. Because yeah. I look at my mom and dad, they never went after anything. They worked their whole life and have nothing to show for it. Yeah. And hardworking people, very hardworking people just they didn't ever do anything that they were passionate about. They were raised that way. Yeah. It was, I was watched something recently, actually a while back, the Jordan Peterson, and it really sparked something in my mind, which I'm not, I'm a hundred percent sure if it's the way, but he was talking about getting back to character development. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's saying what we're doing in schools now, he said school used to be about character development. Mm-hmm. You had the father as your base and in school you had religion to put an indoctrination or a direction into the kids. Right. Yep. Now it's, you shouldn't be religious because that's retarded. It's just a book and you should focus on global warming. And so they're teaching, they're raising kids to attach themselves to causes. Like you said earlier, not to look at themselves and have character development. Cause they're not giving it to them. You know, like my daughter, when we were doing the virtual one, and I stay, I've been slack and I still have to talk to the principal about this, <laughs> but, uh, so she's in kindergarten. So she's five years old. And they're doing one of the, it was like the library. Here's your activity. Click on these people. They each make a sound. And I look at the group and the first person in the front is a woman, like a, I think an a blonde haired, normal white girl with a plaid shirt and a a megaphone yelling. Two steps back from her is a Asian guy in a black lives matter shirt. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Like I would say the same thing if it's a guy in a MAGA hat. Like Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. do not want politics to be what indoctrinates my children. Fuck no. Like that is the worst fucking thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why like I watch all these people that are losing their minds over who the president of the United States is. If, <laughs> you're, if your life is based on who the president of the United mm-hmm. States is, go stick your head in the sand and just suffocate. I yeah. agree. And if, you, and if you told that person it's because you needed to fix your own fucking house and yourself, yeah. it's a fuck you. Don't tell me what to do. You're a piece of shit and you're toxic. Yeah. Sorry, I'm toxic yeah. for telling you what you need to know. I'm toxic for what? But I mean, it comes back to it like, my best friends have sat me down and been like, dude, you're fucking up. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks, brother. Like, I didn't hate them. Fuck you. But again, weak people. Like, it is the hardest thing. I think the military does this really well. I've been told I am a fucking pile of shit more in the military <laughs> than almost anywhere else in my life. Because my dad was pretty good at that, too. You know? <laughs> but it's it, you get used to, and I think it, on the leadership especially, like, when you go through those schools, the first thing they teach you to do is self, self-reflect. And it's hard to fucking do. Like, especially when you make a serious mistake, you make a mistake that costs somebody's life. You make a mistake that like is one of those things that's going to have like long-term implications on either yourself or somebody else. And you make those mistakes and you go, fuck, 
And you look in and you're like, okay, I made that mistake in that moment, but how the fuck did I get here? Like, what did I do mm-hmm. that led me to make this mistake? What didn't I do that made me make this decision? And that is hard. And that's why like, there's so much pushback against Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Huge. I mean, I think Penguin is now the entire staff is like, I can't believe we published white supremacist books. Like, that right. The least, yeah. if you would go back four years and drop him in, he's as liberal and as left as you come. Mm-hmm. But it's very much just simple and like, take care of yourself. Like if you become better, society becomes better. And I, I stand by his piece. And this is where I, I think I have a lot of political disagreements, even though I'm pretty moderate. Society cannot make you better. No. Rules in society cannot make you better. You can make mm-hmm. society better by being better yourself. And I don't understand why that basic <clears throat> thing is so fucking complicated. Yeah, the individual as well. I, and, I, and, and he did. I guess he's he just dropped a new book where he is. Yeah. And I just read something his daughter posted. You know, Bree told me about it that his daughter posted that everyone at the publisher was like crying or something. Oh yeah, so no, that's that's it. They're they're actually trying to shut him down. They're actually saying that he's publishing white supremacy. That he's this horrible anti-LGBTQ person. Like, it's like, have you ever listened to a word that he says? Seriously. It's, 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 it's all a narrative, like you were saying. It's a and it's also like what you said about if your whole world revolves around who you wanted for president. Oh, like, also, the other side of that, if someone voted for somebody I don't like, yeah. it doesn't make them a bad person. No. There's a reason they like that person. Yeah. And I'm not going to judge somebody because of who their favorite politician is. No. That's And I'm not a super political person. <clears throat> I follow it. I I have my views on things, yeah. but somebody could have a completely opposite view than yeah. me. And that could be with anything. It could be with the second amendment. It could be with, even if, well, I don't know, racism's kind of a tough one. If someone's racist, that's kind of fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I'm just, what I'm saying is <clears throat> like different views doesn't make you no. a bad person. Well, I mean, and there's supposed- a reason you people believe the things you're supposed believe. to vote for a politician based on policy. Yeah. Like when did this shit become a, Oh, he seems like really someone yeah. I want to introduce my daughter to. Yeah. What? He's a politician. Fuck him. And most, yeah, most, poli- most or all politicians are fucking snakes. They're snakes. I mean, you don't get to that place <clears throat> without selling out some yeah. piece of your soul. Well, no, think about the turn of the century, 1900, sorry, not this century. To be in politics was looked down upon, such that people with high status. Yep. Like, Oh, you're a politician. Like when, what was it? Uh, Cedar Roosevelt. Yeah. When he, when he considered it and they were like, his family's like, are you fucking serious? Yeah. Like that is low. These are snakes in the grass. These yeah. are not of high quality or moral sound people. Like it was looked down upon. Not, not, not during celebrities like yeah. they have been. Like it's, the shift is crazy. Mm-hmm. I think there's good yeah. people that want to get into politics to make changes and do good things. I, it just, from the outside looking in, it seems like they get eaten up by the craziness that is politics. Even like, Trump, who I've never been a fan of him as a person. He just seems like a. <laughs> is, is it as anybody? <laughs> I, yeah, there's some people. Some people love him. I love him. <clears throat> but like, even back when he was on The Apprentice, I was like, he's the biggest asshole. He's such a, I was like, that is a New York douchebag. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> and that's that we could go down a whole rabbit yeah. hole there. Like, I think about how people say, oh, he's one of us. It's, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. no. Sure, he is. But where was I going with that? Oh, anyways, people say, oh, he's not a politician. He is a politician now. He, he became one. He did. Even if he wasn't when he started, he became one. He's and a disruptive politician, yeah. but he's still a politician. Yeah. Right. And it's I exactly what you said. I agree. It's like someone, if that's their whole life, is who they want to be the president or who they want in, in office. It's ridiculous. Because we, I think people have more in common than they, than vice versa. Oh, you completely. Know? It's <clears throat> like my wife has a lot of people in her family who they're pretty liberal people. Yeah. I love them to death. Yeah. And I have some liberal views as well. 
but I have a lot of views on both sides. Yeah. And there's some stuff we disagree on. I love them. They're great people. They're they're contributing members of society, and just because they have a different view than me, it's if we all thought the same thing, this would be a pretty shitty place. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. that's that's like that new. There's that new social media app. I don't know if it's new, but a lot of people are going over there called Parlor. Yep. Yeah. That's going to become the biggest echo chamber. That already is for right wing. Oh yeah. And I get why some people have gone over there because there's no censorship and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Because <clears throat> I know that there's been some people that have had a lot of problems with censorship. That's why Tim, Tim Kennedy went there just so he could do well, his was, gun pose. It was yeah. the same yeah. with uh, with Mike Glover. I don't know if you know who Mike Glover is. Yeah, but oh yeah, follow Mike. Fieldcraft survival yep. and all. And he's had kind of like the Jordan Peterson thing. People oh, are yeah. saying that he's linked to white supremacy. And we've talked about this a couple times on here, but it's if you follow anything that guy has said, there's nothing. Well, did you see where they shut down? Uh, his banking system as well. Yeah, I just saw you, yeah. you just said that to me. Kevin, I, honestly, I have a bunch of credit. I have like a bunch of credit with Chase. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work for me. It's, yeah. it's really crazy. Me. So he's, someone's fucking account. He's Sorry. one of those people yeah. that yeah. announced, hey, I'm going over to Parlor. And people are going to that. It's going to be, it probably already is. So I, I went over there. Echo I, chamber. Like the one thing I have to do is I have to stop following Dinesh D'Souza because like literally he posts 37 things a day. And it's like, bro, you're blowing up my notifications. I don't need this much information for you. <laughs> Um, but no, it, it's exactly that. It is an yeah. echo chamber. But I mean, so I went to a really cool event. I went to the Big Daddy Unlimited shoot in Georgia, which is basically where they get a bunch of the kind of the gun tubers and that whole conservative culture together. I met the guy that runs uh, the typical liberal, if you ever follow that guy. Really interesting guy. And he talked through that piece on the censorship. And he's like, dude, if I put anything that comes close to a gun, I get shut down. Mm-hmm. He's like, I went from 50 million interactions a week to 25,000. Jesus. So it's like, I mean, you talk about it, it's there and you can blatantly see it and, and you understand it. Like yeah. it's, so there's an interesting piece in, in kind of what you said on politics now, right? So we kind of started out with the age of religion, right? So religion was the baseline of society. We transitioned somewhere around, I want to say like the 1960s, 70s, yeah, yeah. really into the age of politics. And then politics became the ideology, right? Mm-hmm. We started to go down that path. And I think we're moving past that. And, and what we're moving to, I've heard everything called from the age of the technocrats to, you know, the age of information systems, because who's the next people that are in charge? It's people that can control the information. And if you ever look into technocracy, which is really kind of a rabbit hole to go down, I'd recommend it. It's super interesting. <laughs> it was a, it was this offshoot theory from Columbia in the 1930s that really was trying to, you know, as, as the great depression is weighing on and they're saying like, Hey, we, so capitalism has failed. We need to build this new thing that doesn't have money basically is based on resource and whoever owns the resources then shares those resources with everybody. So resource allocation experts will be the ones determining who needs what. So you have everything medical will be managed by the medical experts and everything like, so just experts will run everything. And every time I listen to the Democrats or anybody says, listen to the experts, I'm like, fuck, because you don't have control over them. Have mm-hmm. you ever tried to get a bureaucrat to do anything you want? <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Or a non-elected official, like they have nothing to me. I definitely do not want these people making decisions for me. I want them to inform the person that I can hold accountable. Mm-hmm. That's why every time Central District Health in Boise puts out something, I'm like, why am I hearing this from you? Like, I want to hear from the county commissioners. Oh, well, county commissioners aren't really in charge. Like, but they're elected. They're the next step up for the governor. So why in the fuck am I not hearing from them? Why am I hearing a note from Central District Health mm-hmm. that's saying we're changing everything we talked about because of this number? I was like, stop. I don't want to hear it from you. I want to hear it from elected official who got information from you and then got information from the businesses and then got information from this and made like, I want an analysis. I want you to say, if we don't do this, it costs this many lives. If we do this, it costs this many lives. Then I want the businesses to go, Hey, if we don't do this, it costs this many jobs. 
And I want someone in mental health to be like, hey, if we shut this down, we lose this many people. It does this impact the long run. Hey, if we if our kids aren't in school and they're in virtual school, this many kids are going to fall behind. Hey, this many kids are, we're going to have a, I think we're like a 400% increase in um, domestic violence right now. I, I read an article about that not too yeah. long ago. And we have no idea what the child abuse issue is <clears throat> yeah. because 90% of that is caught where? Fucking schools. Well, and yeah. I, I also think about yep. the fact there's some kids out there. That's where they eat is oh, at school. Dude, brutal. And <clears throat> I'm fortunate enough that my kids, that's not the case. Same. They get fed at home, but there is kids who don't get fed at no. home. And it's th- that's the only place they can go to eat. And I, I understand, you know, public health issues. Completely. They don't want people getting sick. I get it. So far, we've been really lucky. My youngest has been pretty much in school full time, the yeah. whole time. And it depends where you are. And that's why, like, because they just shut down my kid's school from, we finally got to hybrid learning. So they went to school two days a week and mm-hmm. then they had virtual. And it was like, okay, finally, as parents, we can get to a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And as my kids, my kids can have a rhythm. Yeah. And then they recently shut it down. And I was yeah. like, yeah. you've got to be fucking No, my kidding. daughter, went, she, they put it from two, then the four days a week, which was awesome for a few weeks. And it was back down to two. Yeah. She goes to answer charter school. And then now- Next week, I think they're like no all online again. Yeah, and now the online classes are sporadic throughout the day. It's terrible. Yeah, which as far as I know, my starting tomorrow, my youngest goes back to school unless my wife's the one that gets it all the depends. emails. It depends. It so depends on the county, and I know yeah. most private schools are staying in. <clears throat> yeah, and so that's the other thing too is you look at it, it's like so you have the money to put your kid in private school. Mm-hmm. Already they're ahead of the power curve. Yeah, yeah. and now after this, they're going to be a full year ahead of their peers. Like we are doing so much damage, and, and yeah. again, like I'm not. And I, I got called an extremist today from a guy I used to work with, which is hilarious because I'm, <laughs> you want to see me be an extremist. I have the skills to be an extremist at this point. I'm not an extremist, mm-hmm. but my, my whole point was, was like, Hey, let's talk about policy. Like the piece I just said, like, I want to hear the conversation. I want to hear the debate over policy. So I want to hear, Hey, if we don't lock down instead, if we isolate the people that are being hammered by this, I mean, I think if you're, we've lost six people under the age of 55 in Idaho total. Okay, so everything is above 55. Let's isolate the 55 and above. Mm-hmm. Let's. What would the difference be in, mm-hmm. in casualty and in, in, in your fatalities and your hospitalization rate? What would that do to it? Okay, how do we make that work? But nobody's having a conversation. Yeah. Because if you if you say anything against the experts, you're a fucking extremist. Yeah. Or you're racist. No, you're, well, you're a racist anything. too. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I'm it's, such, that's it's the other that's thing I hate <clears throat> that if you say anything against what somebody else thinks, yep. you're automatically a bad person. <laughs> It's that is so insane to me, and I understand. I try. I try to understand people's views on things. Absolutely, and I understand like with the whole COVID thing, people that are scared. I get it. Uh, like somebody like my mother in law has asthma, diabetes. I yeah, get it. I, completely. I'm scared for her because yeah. if she got it, or my parents. Yep. My my dad's on oxygen. If he got it, it probably would not be that. be a good thing. And <clears throat> but if you even say like, can we try something else or anything, then people turn on you and it's and I, I don't know i don't think i don't think it's as bad as we all think it is with people turning on you i think that's where social media comes in that's where the news comes in where they're highlighting all the craziness i don't think everybody's that crazy i really don't you know i think i heard it said once um and i think it was i want to say it was a panel at columbia and you know because you have that conversation of the silent majority because you have you're right you're, what you're saying is we have a vocal minority mm-hmm. who is all this crazy yelling and we're all focusing on them because they make so much noise mm-hmm. so i think they made a she was making a comment to it was on islam it was the height of kind of the uh, you know all the attacks in europe and the kind of the height of radical islam which, which has tapered off over the last few years um and she was and basically someone was saying like all muslims 
are not radicals. And you're like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're not. I think it's something like 17%, which is still like 150 million. Mm -hmm. But where's the silent majority? Where's the 1.1 billion Muslims that are not standing up and fighting this? Yeah. The silent majority means nothing. Mm. And that's a tough thing to understand because then you have to look at, okay, so how do I go against this super radical, like, and in the left, in, in the U.S., I think the left is very radical right now. There's definitely a right side radical, mm -hmm. um, but they're quiet and they're waiting for, for their time to be what they are. And I always tell my friends on the left, I was like, you guys don't understand. I'm not worried about you. Me and four of my friends can take care of you if I have to. I'm not worried about you. Those guys I worry about. Because the guys that are really on that far right fringe, the alt right that you talk about, that you think everybody is, mm -hmm. those dudes are scary. Yeah. Because they're quiet. They know what they're doing. They have systems. They've got a shit ton of ammo. And yeah. all they do is they spend time training. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you don't understand. Like, so how do we, as and, and we'll call us the silent majority, because like I don't put myself out there like crazy. Every time I do, I get shot in the face. Mm -hmm. My family doesn't need that. I don't need that stress. My families don't need me stressed out because I'm mad at what some dude said on social media. Yeah. That's like it how do we find a way to, to start conversations? And I mean, things like this are great. I was just yeah. going to say, I think things like podcasting yeah. or, or even just friends sitting together talking. It's the best. Because yeah. even if it seems like, like all three of us probably are pretty moderate and stuff like that, I'm sure we have different opinions on Completely. things. And it's good for people to get together and talk about it. And maybe, maybe I'm going to change your mind on something. Maybe you're going to change well, my mind on something. I think a something. lot of us are feeling the angst of <clears throat> exponential growth in this country and Western oh, world because it's, everything is growing exponentially faster than our brains are able to adapt mm -hmm. to the environment. You know, think about what people call like fundamentalists call like the better times, not like the twenties, the thirties, right? The forties yeah. post world war two, like things were simple and we all had a, we all fought for the same cause mm -hmm. and we were together and life wasn't fucking easy. Yeah. So we weren't worried about certain things. And what was it? 1939. Mm -hmm. A woman's fifth highest need in the marriage was love. Fifth, where it's number one now. She had four other things she wanted to worry about. I want security. I need a house. I need yeah. a strong man to give me children. Right? Like, yeah. it was number five. These are different fucking times. Completely. Because now it's so easy. It's like, now I can really just focus on what I really want. I can be yeah. as selfish as I want because I have the time and the luxury to do it. And, and so it's a time of, like, selfishness. And it's a time where... There's not enough going on. So I'm scared now because like I also moved in this neighborhood as well because mm -hmm. I wanted a better neighborhood for my kids. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I going to do to make them struggle now? They need fucking struggle. Yep. And I'm going to have to make a an op order for that every fucking week yep. until – because my daughter's almost eight. My son just turned three. Every fucking week until they're 18, like op order, here's how we're doing this yep. because I have to make you struggle. And be there for you, but I can't have you just go. It can't be that easy. No, go go home and watch YouTube. Go to school, hang out with your friends. Go to the nope. movies. Yeah, it's not enough. I think that's where physical activities come into play for kids, especially yeah. nowadays. Yep. Like we've talked about it, nauseum, like jujitsu. Yes, that's a struggle. For, yeah, that's great. And it doesn't have to be jujitsu. It could be soccer. It could be basketball. Whatever. Just something to give them something to physically strain them. Some struggle in their life. And learn how to overcome things. I, I like I like the martial arts, especially <laughs> jujitsu, because you learn really quickly how to lose. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, you it's do. a different thing between losing a soccer game and mm -hmm. having someone put their hands on you and control you and mm -hmm. make you go, "I can't do this anymore." Who yeah. weighs less than you? Who weighs yeah. less than you? Right? Yeah, yeah. Or and, it's even that weighs more than you. You're gonna yeah. find out that 
there's a real world out there of people that can hurt you. That's the greatest thing. I, I always <laughs> laughed in uh, like Army Combatives level one. Yeah, dude. And like it's hilarious and you get to the end of it. And I loved it when I went through level two and then level three. Um, they let us as like young captains, like post career course captains, go ahead and do the clinch drill with all these young lieutenants. And I didn't understand, really understand the purpose of the clinch drill. You know what the clinch drill is? Mm-mm. So basically at the end of army combatives level one, which is like a baseline introduction to like this simple jujitsu esque, like confidence builder. Right. And it really, the end of it, the clinch drill is it is controlling somebody who's punching you in the face without being able to punch them back. It is all I'm trying to do is control <laughs> yeah. you, get to a place where you can't hit me anymore and I can move to a position to dominate. Gotcha. And I was like, why did we do this? Like, this is stupid. Like, we're teaching a really bad habit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, no, most of these guys have never been punched in the face. And I had to stop. And be like, what do you mean? <laughs> most of these guys have never been punched in the face. It's like, D- explain this to me. They're like, I can't explain any more than that. Like, they need to be punched in the face. So, because <laughs> yeah. everyone remembers the first time you got punched in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, shit. But the second time you're like, oh, okay, really? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Yeah. But it, it's that. So you have to break people through that piece. And nobody, not enough people get punched in the face anymore. No. Especially the people on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the shit people say, like, God, you would never say that mm-hmm. shit growing up. If oh. I said that in a room in, in high school, I'd get my ass crushed. Yeah. Hold you up. That goes, that goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier. Like, being a so-called man. Yep. You have these guys who look like a big tough guy. Bunch of dudes <laughs> in bear suits. I'm sticking with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then you have guys who are very unassuming looking, mm-hmm. quiet, who are killers. Oh, you, yeah. You'd never know it. And mm-hmm. I, I learned that in jujitsu. There's people in that gym that I roll with that if, you, if I saw them on the street, I would think nope, nothing I, of it. Some nerd. Yeah. Yeah. But if something goes down, yeah. they're going to strangle you to death. Yeah. It's... And, you know, you have these, like you said, the big flannel bearded wearing guy who looks like a badass. And sometimes they might be. Yeah. But <clears throat> most of the time, and I, I think most people in the world, like you said, have never been punched in the face. Nope. They don't know how to fight. They don't know how to defend themselves. I, I was one of them when, when I first went to jujitsu. I'm, I'm a big guy. I'm pretty strong. I've always thought I, I can take care of myself. Yeah. And I have. I've been in altercations, but it was always against someone who also didn't know what they were doing. Yep. So my size and strength came into play. Once I got into jujitsu... I learned, like, I don't know anything. I'm going to get killed if anybody does know something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and still, to I mean, I'm not saying I'm some sort of badass because somebody knows anything more than me. They're going to kill me. <laughs> but I am much, I'm in a much better place now. If somebody exactly. does know anything, I'll be okay. I can take care of business. And I think that's important for people to know how to protect yourself. Yeah, and, and you just, in general, you got you know, you know go to know <clears throat> how to be mean. I, I learned that in your army. Like, when I first got to my unit and I was 19, barely 19. Because I'd grown up like a wrestler and a weightlifter. Like, mm-hmm. I could snatch and clean a lot of fucking weight. I'm just built for it. And so, I realized people that were a hell of a lot meaner than me, like, appeared to be in a fight because <laughs> they were scared or bigger than me. Mm-hmm. I found out really quick that my aggression <clears throat> and my strength could out... Like, I never got beat up. I know it was so many, so many fights. And it was never anything I started. I was always that... I'm that fucking guy, by the way. I'll call myself out. He was like, guys, please don't fight. Yeah. No, because I want someone to hit me and fucking fuck him up. I'm looking like passive aggressive for a fight. So that was that was like my thing. Like, yeah. no, guys, I love you. Like, don't. And someone like swings on me and then I'm like, through the fucking table, dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> someone's getting beat. At, like, and so like I found really quick that because a lot of my, my teenage years, I was intimidated by people mm-hmm. because of that. They had the mental presence. They knew how to intimidate you. Yeah. And when I got in the army, I realized I got past that. And I just had to get myself into those fights and realize, yeah. oh, it's just a front. It's just a front. Like, I can be fucking mean, dude. Like, and it was. You can also be really nice and then just hit someone in the face. Yeah. <laughs> which is a, which is a shocking term. Like, because it's. 
I'm a very nice guy. I'm also very mean. And I take pleasure at times in hurting people. Yeah. That's just kind mm-hmm. of comes with the nature of the beast. Well, there's a time and place for it. Exactly. There, there, there is. And I think when it comes to like a bully, yeah. a bully is one of those guys who's never been hit in the face. Never been hit in the face. It's, and I'm a, I'm somebody, I speak my mind when, when it's time to speak my mind. Right. And some people would say otherwise, I, I talk a lot. I'm a big talker. I'll talk everybody's ear off. I always have been. But <clears throat> I, I'm nice. I'm very, very nice. Yeah. But I'm also one of those people, if someone's doing something wrong, I'm going to say something oh, about it. And 99% of the time, if someone's doing something wrong and you step up and say something, they're going to fucking stop. Yeah. Because they don't like confrontation. They act like they like confrontation. Yeah. They don't really like confrontation. And in all reality, I'm not a big fan of confrontation. No. I, if, if I can avoid a confrontation, I will. But I'm not afraid to step up for what's right. Yeah. And usually somebody who's a bully, they, they're they loud and, right. until somebody says something. Yeah, you can have a plan to de-escalate it before it happens. Yes, yeah. and you know. and that, that's dude, that's exactly it. Because I can't tell the number of time in a bar. Um, I was in Nashville a few years ago, and there was guys smoking in the bar, and the girls we were with were like, "Oh my god, said choking." So I walked over. It's like, "Hey guys," and they're like, "Yeah, man, go sit down." I was like, "Hey, no, if you don't mind, would you guys mind putting those cigarettes out? It's really smoking us out, and you know you're not supposed to do it in here. So just do us a favor and put it out." And they kind of bowed up a little bit. I had three or four good friends. They're like, we're getting a fight. I was like, I don't know. I'm just going to go talk to these guys. And I just said something nice. Like I wasn't in their face. I was very calm. I was like, hey, guys, could you please do this? And they didn't know what to do. If I'd walked over and been like, hey, you fuckers, put that shit on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit you in the face. It just would have been a brawl. Yep. Yeah. So, But in the end, like, I think there is something to, to what you said, like learning to be the calm person in, in a conflict. Like I can talk to you at this level all the way up until the point that we're fighting mm-hmm. because there's no reason for me to yell at you. Sometimes yelling at someone, you can kind of make the assessment if they're really blowhard, sometimes raising your voice and getting a little more aggressive will de-escalate. Like yeah. sometimes I've done that a couple of times where it's like, if you step near me, I'm going to snap your neck. Yeah, ver- they like, call it verbal judo, right? Ver- yeah, right, yeah. right. So you see, if you mellow out and they get bigger, then you get bigger with them. You kind of have to play that game. But the intent is to deescalate with a backup plan of, of hurting somebody. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's one of those things. If you've never yeah. been in conflict, if you've never been punched in the face, if you're not comfortable with that, like I yell a little too much in my house. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I'm a loud guy. I'm like you. I talk all the time. I'm loud. And the girls mm-hmm. get, I'm like, God damn it. What are you doing? Yeah. And I look back and they're like, why are you yelling? I was like, because I want you to be comfortable with that. I'm not actually mad at you. I want, I don't want this like loud noise. Like my wife, when she first met my dad, my dad's a big loud dude, just like me. And he and I will have a conversation, like arms moving, like borderline yelling at each yeah. other. She had to go downstairs. <laughs> she was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, this is how we communicate. That's why I got to basic training and nobody yelled at me. They're yelling, you're yelling in my face. I'm so used to this at this point. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Now Now you're going to make me do so many overhead arm claps. I wish I could just put my face into a wall and cry. Yeah. Um, but we'll get past that. Yeah. Like, and it's that whole thought process. But it's that yeah. stress inoculation, understanding conflict, and understanding that conflict is a tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you understand you're comfortable with it, then and you can move forward. Yeah. And you can some, – sometimes you can't avoid it. Yeah. I told Spencer about this. They're like a very good podcast. podcast. Like when I was Ubering and I was Ubering in my wife's Subaru Forester. So I got called a lesbian a lot and shit. <laughs> and uh, it had the moonroof and everything. So girls are always like, hey, roll it down. Like, you want to get drunk? I'm like, fuck no, dude. Like, but like, also you get rowdy guys and you could tell they're walking out of the answer, Amsterdam or something. Yeah. And so luckily it's like the nice, it's the XT model. So it's got that electric chair. Nice. And I would raise it up <laughs> to where my, my head hit the ceiling. <laughs> so they so get, you looked huge. Dude. So I just knew like that's I got, smart. That's de-escalating. Before yep. I have a plan, so like, 
boop, raise it up, dude. And they get into like, dude, you're fucking huge. And they'll get like quiet. You're like 6'6", like, six, six, bro. <laughs> yeah, because I'm kind of stocky so I can pull off that height. Yep. Right, I could yep. pull it off. So yeah. they think I'm like 6'5". And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, wait, I'm here in this little super dude. Got a couple pillows then, under your ass. <laughs> yeah, but it fucking worked. It's it yeah, crazy. Totally. Just a size thing. Like yeah. I imagine like Spencer walking around. He doesn't have to deal with a lot sometimes. Yeah. Like, no. People just seem like he gets that respect. Yep. You know, like. Yeah, it's well, when I when I was a bouncer, I saw it all the time. If you were bigger and yeah. just meaner looking, you didn't have to know what you were doing. Where were you a bouncer at? At the end zone, right across from BSU. I feel like that's maybe I've seen you there before. It's possible. I did it for like a couple <laughs> football seasons. Okay, but like when I was doing that, I didn't know how to fight. I thought okay. I did, but I didn't. Looking back, but I've <laughs> always been kind of a big guy, and I'm also a friendly guy, even in that scenario i'm a yeah. friendly person i like to be friend that's a good way to de-escalate too is be yeah. friendly but <clears throat> there was me and then there was guys bigger than me and half the time they just have to walk up and show i'm big i have a presence and things would calm down occasionally as yeah, somebody wants to fight the big guy yeah. and prove themselves and that happens <clears throat> but like you were saying the, when you, someone's bigger they're a little more intimidating especially yeah. to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing well that's what i thought was weird too like <clears throat> my second deployment we were in basically in a pot field, literally on a pot field. And was this in <laughs> Afghanistan? Yeah. Where at it? Where are you at in Afghanistan? I was in uh Panjway. I okay. was on Cop Telecon with uh, oh, okay. uh three two three four. Yep. Um and uh I know they were fucking smoking it. Uh I made I got really good buddies with them. It was really interesting where it started off for like a week being you mean you know how it is. Green Braves look down at everybody like fuck yeah. you, right? Especially guys. the uplift guys. Yeah. And and I think these guys were three, two, three, I think it was a Halo team. I'm pretty sure. Uh, three, four. Three, two, three, four. I think it was Halo. Four of the five. It depends. So, okay. But uh, but really quick, they realized it was different. Like, mm-hmm. they at one point were giving me their extra guns. Yep. Like, we got a lot of respect because, like, oh, these guys are actually fucking rolling out. We were taking heavy contact, pushing through the fucking contact. Guys are stepping on pressure plates. Mm-hmm. I was 22 as a young sniper team leader. And I just, like, didn't know how I was going to react in some of these situations. Oh, completely. And somehow just went full fucking, like, Rambo. Like, like one point, someone called me fucking Mel Gibson because we're getting shot at. <laughs> I'm running around. I'm putting an E6 in place because these guys are not really yeah. supposed to be. I'm fucking yelling. I'm running around. I'm just getting shot. So, like, it was, like, hilarious. But, like, after a couple of these instances, they were like, no, like, you guys got to fucking respect. You guys are down the fuck yeah, dudes up, you know. And, and it became a really good relationship, even with their... Uh, it was Captain Martinez, I think, when he watched me, I talked about this with uh, Morgan. I shot a guy with binos, and this is at the point where they said you can do that anymore. Yeah. But he was watching us react, and for some reason, I don't know why, because that's not really his job. But Captain Martinez was up at the Hesco next to me, watched the whole thing go down. I was like, "That was fucking awesome, dude!" Like, because <laughs> it was like a an offhand shot too. And I think yeah, it was like three fifty or something like that. And but I shot him in the clavicle, didn't fucking kill him. And uh, and I almost got court-martialed for this, and it was because of what year was this? Eleven. Yeah, yeah. And so it was because of this. I said, okay, RT South binos are on because you know why we're using them. And I even tried to push tactical kite flying because <laughs> these little motherfucking kids yep. were always doing it to show our position. Completely. And I was like, can I just go punch this motherfucker in the stomach? Yep. He's like twelve. He can take it, you know. <laughs> and uh, Captain Oliver was like, nah, dude, because when we roll out with my company commander, I just roll out with like a three twenty, dude. Yep. I was like, I'm just gonna respond, react to contact with this or a oh, fucking law, dude. You yep. just because you have Carl Gustav's like, you know, SF dude, guys did, but uh, which are amazing. Yeah, dude. <laughs> the goose is amazing. But oh, yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at the story because the assaulters were always fucking massive. Mm-hmm. Like, you knew who the medics were when you walked up to them. They were my size. 
they were actually all the medics. I think on the team were actually soda qualified. I don't know if I remember like Brock was, Justin. No, Justin was this night. But anyway, the assaulters were always fucking like six three jacked motherfuckers, <laughs> dude. Like you knew who they were, and then that presence I felt it made me feel uplifted. You it's, know, like empowered. You know, like yeah. it's, it's an interesting thing because like uh, that's like I've got buddies in, in the unit and like true assaulters, like my cousins on uh, my got a good friend in uh in Red Squadron, and like you look through these guys and they're not all huge, man. Most of them aren't six three. Okay. Most of them aren't big. Like those guys you got, like they're probably halfway through their cycle in, in Jagness third groups. You know, those, uh. those dudes get big. My <laughs> my uh, my brother in law's in third group. Okay. Uh, he's, he's at Sati uh, East right now, but he'll he'll be back or Sati South. He'll be back at third group uh, here in a little bit. And yeah. he's five foot ten, one hundred and forty pounds. Okay. Jeez. They led a direct action. He had a direct action team for like two years. <clears throat> You'd see him walking down the street. Looks like a marathon runner. He does. Fucking major in SF and a damn fucking talented operator, huh. but you wouldn't you would never know it. Super quiet, not not outgoing, and like a lot of the guys I know and some of the dudes I know are fucking huge. And you're like Jesus fucking Christ, like you are a specimen of a man. Most of them super fit, incredible shape, but they're not huge guys, man. They're not, mm. and that is that like that perception of everyone being really big, but it comes down to like you never really know what these dudes are, who they are. Dude, and something that told me a lot was like <clears throat> when we had basically a mass cat situation, pressure plate goes off, mm-hmm. and before I can even get, I'm supposed to be on QRF. Before I can even get my shit ready, I see uh, there's three. I know Brock was the first one out. They get on the fucking gators, and they don't even give a fuck. They're like we know someone just stepped on some shit, and they just took off to go help yeah. our guys, like selfless motherfuckers, and. All three of them that went out got injured. I think Brock got shrapnel in his brain because the, we get to the QRF, we get out there with my new first sergeant. He gets out there and he steps on our pressure plate when he gets unloaded and blows his motherfucking head off and fucks the ODA guys that were right behind him. Yep. Fucks up our captain um, or um, the medical officer, uh, our medical officer, our captain. He gets shrapnel in the face. Yeah. So now we have mass cash situation, but these guys didn't give a fuck. Like, we we came first. We're all on one side. We're not just Green Berets, regular no. dudes. Like, no. and they and they weren't impressive looking guys. These ones, like the medics, they were average as a bill. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't expect that they're superheroes. No, but they didn't even they fucking are. blink, dude. Nope. AT you know? Deltas are some of the most incredible, like incredible dudes you can imagine. I yeah, had some good buddies that are Deltas. Their skill set and their talent level is through the fucking roof. Like it, it's unreal what those dudes can do. Yeah, well, that goes back to what we were saying about struggle. Like, all that shit you were just talking about, that's mm-hmm. fucking struggle. And yeah. that creates good. And, like, me, I was never in the military. But I've always gravitated towards guys that were because I fucking respect them, especially guys who've been in combat, who've been through some struggle. And I I just love the way, like, guys like you think. It, it's, it, and my, my dad was a Marine. I was raised by him. He was kind of, he was kind of a hard ass. But he was, I respected him always. I still do. And I've always, and I've always just been enamored by the military lifestyle, everything like that, because I think it's because of the struggle those guys go through and it struggle creates something in somebody, whether it's in the military or whether it's on a jujitsu mat or, or anything like that. Yeah. And I struggle creates something. I love people because of those experiences. When you see them go out of the way even when their life is sucking maybe and oh, helping yeah. somebody mm-hmm. like that says so much about them. Cause 
how many people have shit that's going right for them or have a lot of money and some little thing happens and they can't they be different. They can't fucking, you know, and that really opened me up to that. Like, that's what I love about, you know, men and women. Yeah, I see, I saw, I saw the male side of it. Like those are, that's what I want to be yeah. like, you know, and so I respect the shit out of people that do that. And you, when you see it, you're like, like during the hurricane in Texas, mm-hmm. You see dudes just getting their fucking boats and helping people out. Like, the, fuck, that yeah. One, that's what I'm about. The dude. UFC, yeah. Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis. Yeah. He, he's got so much money. doesn't need to show off for anybody. He's out there in his big lifted truck helping yep. people. Yeah. And I think, like, some news outlet captured it, and that wasn't his plan. Nope. But it's a good dude. Yeah. And I don't know. And he came from a whole life of living poor and struggle. And I yep. think str- struggle is important for people. Fuck and yeah. it's, I don't know, like. Me and you were raised pretty similar. Not mm-hmm. much money. A lot of struggle in our life. There was times where, yeah, school's where we're eating. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it makes a better person. And, and there, there's going to be assholes who struggle too. But Yeah, and that's why I'm kind of scared too. Like, again, about my kids. Yeah. Because <clears throat> think about after the Great Depression, that generation was like, our kids are going to have everything. Yeah. Because this, we don't want them to do this. And then you had a bunch of spoiled motherfuckers around in the 70s. Well, see, I don't, <laughs> I don't think we need to worry that much, like, we all, everybody no. wants better for their kids. Yeah, yeah. I know. Totally. But, and yes, our kids, and I'm imagining your kids probably have it better than you did. That's yeah, just I'll what you do. Like but they also have us as dads. Right. We're we there to guide them through. And that, I think that's a critical part. Cause, <clears throat> well, I think struggle is one part of it. Like mm-hmm. I have, I have friends whose parents are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Some of them have turned into complete pieces of shit and they struggled with drugs and alcohol and they ran amok and they did whatever. Some have made it out of that. Some haven't. Yeah. And I've got some who have who are just incredible human beings, and it's because of how their parents yeah. raised them. And they didn't have an ounce of struggle in their life, mm-hmm. but they had really good, really good example and really good mentors, yeah. right? And then I've seen people in the same way. Like, grew up. I, I didn't grow up wealthy at all. Mm. Like, you grow up. Like, people grow up poor. Some of them turn into pieces of shit. Yeah. Even through all the struggle, they still turn into pieces yeah. of shit. Yeah. And some of them become incredible human beings. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can put more of an emphasis like i think struggle is a key component it falls back on who's raising falls back on who's raising well that's like my my kids they have me they have my wife who's an amazing person we're we're not perfect by any means we we fuck up all the time raising the kids and i think anybody that says they got that figured out it's full of shit they're lying (laughs) yeah that's what i was telling people too like like about my wife she wanted to have the kids come into the world naturally so she did you know two natural unmedicated births you know and you know, my son was fucking massive. <laughs> and and we did at the birth center. So like it's interesting how to how things really should be and how hard it can be. Yeah. But you know, it's not on your back. Like I think actually when he gave birth, she was on, on a stool. And just it was it came out like you're just taking the shit, right? Oh, that's amazing. So I, I, I catch it, you know, but like him, excuse me. But uh no, like that's from right from the get go it says something like about how you care care about your kids. Oh completely. You know, am I gonna do this or do I want the easy way out, which I will continue to do for the rest of their young lives? Well that that Always, right know. there is something amazing. The whole natural birth thing. My wife did that with our second child. I am the biggest bitch. There's no way I would <laughs> I would take every drug nope. <clears throat> that they would offer and I'm just watching it gave me a whole new respect for my wife, seeing mm-hmm. her go through that. And she was actually under the guidance of his wife yeah. and she was, she was our doula. So she, Oh, that's awesome. She was there and helped, helped with the whole process. And it was talk about a struggle. I mean, my, my son's got a big old head just like me and watching that, it just gained so much more respect for her 
And dude, so it's I, I, I miss, and this was a mistake. I'm not a mistake on my part. Like I still don't fault it. Like it just is what it is. But like I learned a lot. So I was in Iraq when my first daughter was born. So I got a, an email getting ready to go out and hit a target. And it's like, you're a dad. I was like, sweet. Get in the truck. We're going to hit this target. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, you know how that is. And I was yeah. like, cool. My, my gunner was like, what happened? I was like, oh, I'm a dad. He's like, thank God, sir. You've been a fucking asshole the last week on this shit. Cause you know, I'm stressed out and we're still trying to do everything else. I was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, but you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, and so I got an email. I sent my wife back. I was like, you look like you had hit by a truck. Well, my wife had uh, gone into labor and got the they they missed the epidural so it was a 17 hour Oof. in the end vacuum assisted labor without me mm-hmm. with like my mom coming in and her mom coming in and the only thing i can say is like you look like you got hit by a truck because <laughs> yeah. i didn't have the respect because yeah. i wasn't there for it i was like that sounds terrible i gotta go i got some shit to go blow mm-hmm. up like yeah. but then i was there for my second child mm-hmm. and i was like Oh fuck! I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a crazy thing. It's insane. I think people who've never had kids, you can tell someone, you know, like it changes you. And oh, you completely. T- and I think I don't think that's always the case. There's some guys who are assholes who are going to stay assholes, <laughs> but I do think it does, especially when you're there to witness it. Yeah, it does something to you. It like I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain. I can't explain it to someone who hasn't been through it. You guys would understand, but it it changes, especially, and then it changes the way you look at your wife too. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's just to, an insane thing. You have to be not not a selfish prick. Yeah, you know that's a hard mental leap to make too for some of us. Like for me, it's like fuck, this can't be about me anymore. Yeah, like you're you're right. You can't be a selfish prick anymore. Mm-hmm. But you need them. Yeah, oh, you know, think about the Mercury astronauts, all selfish fucking pricks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have to have them. Oh, completely. You well, know, you have to have your ass kickers. Like, but you also want to be. I, uh, that's balance because I still want to be an ass kicker in different things, different facets of my life. Yeah. But how to do that and have that aggression without being a selfish prick? You know, like that duality is rough. Yeah, I, I guess that dichotomy because it's a, two different personalities, really. That's something you learn you know? though as you as your children grow. There's there's places to be selfish. They, I think that's important for your kids to see you, like we were talking about, do things you want to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, everything I do is for my kids, but including going and doing something I want to do has nothing to do with them right now. Yeah. But they're going to see that. They're going to respect that. I think. I hope. You know. Like I said, anybody that says they got it all figured out is full of shit. Yeah. Yeah. But just got to keep trying every day to do a little better. And like you were talking about like yelling in the house. stuff. Like I grew up in a house where my mom was the yeller. Everything was yelling, yelling, <laughs> yelling. From the moment I woke up because I didn't want to get out of bed until I got out the door for school was yelling. My dad barely ever raised his voice. He didn't have to. Yeah. I was so scared of him. He never touched me, <laughs> never laid a hand on me, nothing. He was, but like we were talking about, big, intimidating. And all he would have to say is, Jacob? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but uh, so like with my kids, there's times where I raise my voice and I, I almost regret it every time. Like I'll, I'll yell and I'm like, shit, I, I didn't want to do that because I can see the fear, especially in the little one's eyes yep. when that happens. But sometimes it's needed. Sometimes you need to raise your voice to let them know what's up, you know? But yeah, anybody that thinks they got it figured out, tell me how. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll I take don't. that advice any day because I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so. How long were you in the military? Uh, so fifteen years. Oh wow. yeah. Yeah. So I'm technically I'm still in the reserves. Uh, I go teach one class at the fucking longest acronym ever, but the JFK U.S. Army Special Special Warfare Center in school or SWIC <laughs> uh, at Fort Bragg. So I go teach uh, one captain's career course class a year. 
on what's called an individual military augmentee, which is the greatest program in the history of the military. So instead of one weekend a month, two weeks a year, I go teach one class and that's my year. Nice. Uh, which is great. And it keeps me kind of keeps me still engaged uh, with the force, which is great. And I get to kind of help shape for better or worse. I get to help shape the next generation <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, of leaders in the field, which is which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I started out, I was an uh, infantry guy for the first three or four years. Uh, spent time on 101st. I was a Rakasan, uh, 3rd Brigade, 101st. Went to Iraq. Uh, I was a platoon leader for about 18 months, then took over a reconnaissance troop as an executive officer. Uh, came back, went to the captain's career course selection, and then became a civil affairs officer. So on the special operations side, civil affairs gets to do some pretty fun stuff. Uh, so I took my first team to Afghanistan, attached to SEAL Team 2, part of a joint special operation, so south of southeast. Uh, mm. So I was in Zabal uh, okay. in 2012, uh, which is a great, just a fucking great experience. Some of the best dudes I've ever worked with um, and got to really do some some really amazing stuff living in the mountains of Afghanistan, like village to village, like getting to live and work with all the elders and fight a shit ton. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so then from there I came back, picked up a second team, uh, and went to Bosnia and I ran a small counterterrorism team working at the U S embassy in Sarajevo. Uh, and I was there for almost a year uh, in Bosnia working with, uh, some members of the intelligence community and different, uh, like embassy agencies, which was just a crazy experience. And I, I happened to be there kind of one of the craziest times ever. So I was in, in Bosnia, um, doing counterterrorism, focused on foreign fighter flow, and then I was there when Russia moved into Crimea. Huh. So we went from counterterrorism to shifting like Eastern Europe fucking blew their mind when that shit happened. Like Sakir was like, what the fuck just happened? So then we went to kind of a counter Russia piece. And then I happened to be there during the hundred year floods. And so my team, we were training at one of the Bosnian counterterrorism forces uh, up in Banja Luka, the Northern part of the country. Uh, and then the floods hit, we got cut off and trapped up in the Northern part in a floodplain. Oh. Uh, so we ended up helping coordinate most of the international response. So then I'm now in my first natural disaster. Uh, and so I get to lead that from the disaster area, which was just fucking, I mean, a million people were displaced overnight. It was fucking insane. Like my team started and I were trying to get back down to Sarajevo. We ended up driving back up the, the Saba river on the road. The river is literally coming over the road behind us as we're climbing up to get back to Banja Luka. And I was like, Holy fuck. This Damn. is, this is, we were stupid to try to make this trip. Yeah. <laughs> like a Hyundai Santa Fe, like Jesus. Um, and then I ended up like just going down and uh, working uh, with the UN when I, we finally got out of there and like basically spending the next few months doing disaster relief, coordinating NGOs. Uh, and that was how I got connected with waves for water. Like John Rose, the founder of waves had gone to Afghanistan with my buddy who was a company commander from 25th ID in 2011. Uh, and so I reached out to John before I went to Afghanistan in 12 and I was like, Hey man, maybe we'll do this. It was way too kinetic uh, to bring in some guys to do water. I could bring in a pro surfer. I was like, it just is not going to work. And so we ended up just, I reached back out to him. I was like, Hey man, uh, I got some money. Do you want to come do some work in Bosnia? And so we kind of found these like 15 different communities that were completely cut off by landslides. And like at this point, we're already two weeks past the disaster. So it's becoming a significant issue. All their water's completely contaminated. And they were starting to get funding from outside sources. So like when you're getting funding coming in quietly from different countries to specific communities, it, it, you know, you want to know why. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well, hey, let's go do some water projects and I'll find out what's going on. So we borrowed a Bosnian UH-1 Huey that had like post-it notes on switches, <laughs> a pilot that barely spoke English, but had like 3000 hours fucking flying. And uh, we flew into the mountains. And so John lived in my team house. We flew into the mountains, did work for a few days, came back. I ended up getting another project funded through the UN. And he sent another guy over. We borrowed a Austrian Blackhawk, flew around again, Damn. did a bunch of work over a couple of weeks and helped like 25,000 people get access to clean water. I was like, this is fucking rad. That's cool. Yeah. And then uh, 
I ended up getting assigned to what I didn't a place I didn't know existed, the Special Operations Training Detachment at Fort Polk, Louisiana, to go you know, train unconventional warfare and teach the next the next crew operationally and put them through a pretty comprehensive unconventional warfare exercise, which is pretty rad. Uh, and then from there, John Rose called me. He's like, hey, man, do you want to come work for Waves of Water? And I was like, hell yes, I do. And since then, man, it's been four years of, I mean, I've done 30-some countries, 15 natural disasters, working yeah. everywhere from the Amazon to the mountains. I, I got to ride fucking motorcycles across the Gobi Desert doing projects along the way. <laughs> I ran Dakar in 2019 and doing projects along the way there. Like, it's been one of the craziest experiences of my life. Uh, now I have friends in goddamn near every country I've ever been to and I get to, I've learned what it means to be a humanitarian. Mm-hmm. I've learned what it means to find a different purpose past mm-hmm. the military and, and had the opportunity to put more people into those shoes. Yeah. Uh, and now with COVID uh, transition. So I still like, we just got crushed. So we lost all of our admins. So salary went away. So now I'm like the traditional humanitarian that doesn't get paid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I still, I still run the veteran crew cause we all come together and put our own money into it to kind of support each other. Like we pay a small due, Cause I, it's that piece, man. I don't want the people to show up like, Hey, when are you going to take me to the Philippines, bro? It's like, I want someone who's going to, who's willing to put, you know, 150 bucks a year into yeah. this thing. Like it's not a lot of money. Anyone can do it, but it shows that you have some skin in the game. Mm-hmm, and, yeah. and then I know you're going to get something out of it. Um, and so we still work through that piece and, and I do that piece by piece. Like I send crew to the Navajo. We've got some work going in Thailand, like as much as we can with the, with the current yeah. scenario. Uh, and I started my own company. So now I'm a, Broke humanitarian entrepreneur, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. and I couldn't be happier. Yes, yeah. I'm home with my family, man. Yeah, that's a weird world, the whole entrepreneur world. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you can you can do well for yourself. Yeah, but not always. <laughs> no, yeah, no. It's, well, it's, yeah, it's I, I imagine if I imagine if I decided to step into that whole fucking black rifle franchise thing, it would do well. Yeah, apparently they're going to be franchising one here. If they're franchising here, I would do. They that are. It, so I just feed. I just listened to one of their podcasts about mm-hmm. that, and they were saying that. For someone to open a franchise, they have to be a combat vet, okay. which is cool. Which yeah. Check both of you guys. Uh, and what else was it? You had to open, open, own your own business prior. Yeah, you have to have been a, f- a former business owner or something like that. Anyways, there was a bunch, but it's cool the way they're doing it because they want it to yeah. work, obviously. Exactly, I am. They're talking about, yeah. I just, need, the, well, I just need half a million dollars. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. Then they said, but it it does cost about $500,000 to get it going. Yeah. Oh, easy. And yeah, because I don't know, Kevin and I have talked about that in the past. Like, man, if they ever did that, that'd be cool to be part of. Yeah. I was never, a, I'm not, I'm not a veteran, but I drive around here at Black Rifle Coffee. We'd kill it here. Oh fuck yeah, it, it. it would it'd be, it. it'd be huge, especially in like this area of town. Yeah, oh. like just throw it over here next to Independence somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah, just yeah. I, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a coffee snob, and I love their coffee. I, I get, I'm, I'm part of their thing, man. It's delicious. Like, it shows up every every month. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's real. Me and Kevin actually, we drove over to Salt Lake. Yeah. And they gave us a tour of their facility. Oh, nice. It was pretty cool. It was cool, other than the the people or the guy who gave us the 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 tour was awesome. Yeah, he's, he's, he's double a amputee. double amputee. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he'd be walking through, and it was your typical fucking dickhead vets. There like, was a couple of them. Yeah. You know, like, like oh, these guys were just coming through the field, and they're like, oh, cool. What are you guys doing here? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> You're like you piece of shit, motherfucker. Yeah, it's, like it was kind you know, of a like, weird vibe. You want to react that way to him because, yeah. Well, then what? Uh, Matt Best popped his head out of his office and he's like, "What's up, guys?" And then just goes <laughs> and closes the doors. So, <laughs> yeah, and Luke which, hates him. Yeah, like, we we have yeah. A, f- a friend of ours who's a Green Beret now who uh, he joined ser- with, served yeah. with him, and he says he's a dickhead. But I I know other people that know him, and they say he's a nice dude. So who knows? Maybe he had a bad experience. I mean, yeah. there. I guarantee we could find people on both sides of the street with all of us too. Yep. People yeah. that love me, I, I bet you're right. I'm a total yeah. fucking I bet you're right. No, I, I think it's amazing what they've done with that company, though. That's and true. I've kind of followed them for 
since before Black Rifle yep. was a thing. Well, and Matt was doing all of his YouTube things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have like their whiskey company. And I honestly, I love Lead Slinger, man. It's 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 pretty it's, good. It's smooth. It's super drinkable. Yeah. Like oh, it's nothing right. fancy. It's yeah, okay. just drinkable bourbon. Yeah. We actually, one of the dudes, do you know who Vincent Vargas is? Yeah. Was with yeah. He's supposed to come on this podcast. Rocco? Yeah. Dude. But it's just been a timing thing. We yeah. got we to gotta figure something out. We're actually probably going to start doing some like zoom podcasts because yeah. i have a few people that are really cool fuck people that don't live here yeah that will come on so actually next week's going to be a zoom one that'll be our first one nice. so see how it goes and then we'll see what we can do because we have some like pro fighters stuff like That's that that awesome. we want to get on but but yeah he, he's one of them he, i reached out to him before we ever started this to ask him some advice and he was really cool he called me he, he's like what's your phone number he called me gave me some advice Jeez, that's cool. awesome yeah I think he lives right in Salt Lake. So That's it's not good far, to hear that, man. Like, it, it's really good to hear that. There's mm-hmm. good people out there. There yes. really is. And like we were talking about earlier, with all the crazy shit going on in the world, there's good people. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's got to know where to find him, I think. Yeah. And know how to react or not react, <laughs> respond to them, not react to them. Yeah. yeah. It's like I was saying a second ago, I was just reacting. Like, those motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, respond properly. Hey, their lives probably sucked. They're just dealing with their own shit. Yeah. And they're so they're stuck in that ego. Of that military ego yep. that they, they have to get well, past. Well, I, I always have this conversation with people too. They're like, veterans are amazing. I was like, veterans are a snapshot of this country, right? Yeah. So you have shitheads that are veterans just like you have shitheads in there. Like not mm-hmm. every veteran fucking walks on fucking water. Yeah. Like, no. Like I will say the, the best people I've ever met in this world have been veterans. Like and people I served with. When I served with people where I was like, God damn how do you exist? <laughs> yeah. Like you are fucking ridiculous. Like everything about you. Like God Yes. Mm, yeah. I'm fucking proud to be like you I wake up and I'm like, that dude's an American. I'm an American. I feel fucking great today. Yeah. Then I see other ones is like, ah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the ones I like the best, I'm, I realize it, 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 it. I've always even accused myself of being a dis- disillusion is when the guy is a stand up motherfucker yeah. and he's that way as soon as he's off work. He's off out of his uniform. He's not a different dude. Yeah. Because I've had guys I looked up to and as soon as you get back from the deployment yeah. and they're like E6s. They're in the barracks fucking lighting off fire extinguishers with these doors. Yeah. Like, you just lost all my respect. And it, it's sad when you see that. Dude, that's a, that's a hard thing, though, man. Like, it is really hard to do that transition from being a combat soldier to being a garrison soldier. Yes. I, I one of the reasons I left. Like, I feel like I was a good leader. I was a decent officer. I'm, I don't think I'm a fucking good garrison soldier at all. I <laughs> hate it. I hate the extra bullshit. Mm-hmm. I hate that piece. I love the job. I love the skill that goes into it. I love the people I get to interact with. Like I'm a big fan of being not the smartest person in the room, right? If you're the smartest person in the room, find a different fucking room. Yeah. Like go be around people that are smarter than you. And so that's what I love about the job because it's you get to meet so many different people from so many different different walks of life. But I do like that garrison basic. Like so the story, like and this sums it up, like the driving to Louisiana piece. And I can't remember if we talked about it when we were live or it was before. I think. I think we're on. Were we on? I don't even yeah, know. I think anyways. But yeah, but that whole thought process of like, that's the garrison military. This is what you're going to do to minimize risk and do this. It's like, But that doesn't make sense. There's no way I would do that. I had a sergeant major tell me, he goes, look, I get it. These rules are stupid. Just sign the paper and you're going to do something totally different down there. I was like, but you're making me sign a rule that you know I'm not going to follow. Yeah, what's the fucking point? To cover their ass because yeah. that's the bureaucracy of it. Like that's what it is. And I was like, fuck, I hate you for this. I love that you're honest with me, but I hate you that you're making me do this. But it's it's one of those things. Like I don't like that garrison piece. And there are probably some really good garrison. And I've known some really good garrison soldiers that were shit yep. downrange. Yep. 
And so it goes back and forth. And the ones that are good at both are, are the ones where I look at them as like, you're, because I mean, it's not me. Like I was a decent garrison soldier. I think I was pretty good downrange, but it's like the dudes that can do both. Like you look at them like you're a special type of human being. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's, and that's, I guess, uh, you know, that's kind of, yeah, the kind of the, the track I was on with that. And even more than that, even just like a stand up dude who's got your back. He's taking yep. care of, he's making sure everything's right. Like a good NCO. Yep. Like I feel like I was a good, I feel like I was a pretty good NCO because I had those values. I had that right. character. And when I take that uniform off, like I'm here now and I still conduct myself that way. Yeah. Like I fucking clown around a lot, but I know when to be serious and be there for somebody else, you know, and I know when to just take action and be an ass kicker. Right. You know, but the rest of the time it's like, yeah, let's just goof off because life's short, you know? Yeah. I think that's anything in life though, military or not, someone who's, who can just be themselves. And be a good person. Be yourself and be a good person. Not just be yeah. yourself and be a shitbag who takes from other yeah. people. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I mean, like, if yourself is a shithead, stop being yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think people can change too. People that are shitheads, they can come out of it. I, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm friends they, with people. They have, that, to su- they have to suffer. Yeah. I, I, and that's not, that's not even in like, I don't know if that's even imprinted in psychology, but so many wise people and philosophers have said you cannot change without suffering. Yeah. I'm gonna like I'm gonna go with that because yeah. I that's my that's me too. You can't just say I'm gonna be different tomorrow. Yeah, you gotta yeah. fucking suffer. You gotta have that mentor too. I I yeah. cannot like having Big a time. good mentor, having somebody guide you through that suffering, help mm-hmm. you on the other side, let you understand what you're doing. Very few people can do that. Like yeah, what what is it? Uh, Goggins. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, man! Like not everyone's Goggins. <laughs> no. no, like that dude's insane. And he yeah. did it himself because he had that type of like desire to change. Yeah, you look back at those pictures when he was overweight. That's insane. It's yeah, not everybody could be him or what, how many or, people or can, Jocko. No, I mean how many people can <laughs> Jocko like Jocko is he's that driven dude and he's probably always been that dude. Yeah. To watch somebody go from where Goggins was yeah. to making that decision, hey, I want to go do this. Like, yeah, you go go lose this much weight and come back, bro. Mm-hmm. Like getting the brush off. How many people would do like, you're talking fucking Less oh, yeah. than a and most people that point of a percent. Most people mm-hmm. that are going to lose that weight are going to put it right back on. Right back on. I've fucking been there. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's there. I I agree with you. I think people can change. Yeah. Um, and I think there's. I, I probably give some people too many chances. Mm-hmm. But like, I think everyone deserves a chance to change. I think everyone deserves the the support of like, hey, here's what you have to do. Yeah. And you know, there can be somebody there saying, "This is what you have to do." And I'm going to be there with you, mm-hmm. but you still have to do it. You have to embrace the struggle. You have to take the step yourself. Because mm-hmm. if you don't want to change, nobody can make you fucking change. No. And I think that's a problem right now. Is too many people think we can change somebody else. Yeah. Like we can do it through policy. We can do it through law, or we can do it by you know bashing them on the fucking internet till they feel bad mm-hmm. about themselves and get better. It, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Person has yeah. to decide it for sure. Yeah. I guess we can wrap this up. All right. Um, do you want to put your podcast out there, stuff like that? I mean, yeah, you said I, I, you're on a hiatus, but yeah, we're gonna pick it back up soon. Uh, Bacardi and Cola, uh, which I, most people don't remember the uh, the advertisement from uh, the late '90s, early 2000s, which is sad because it's one of the best <laughs> goddamn commercials in the history of man. Um, but yeah, so Bacardi and Cola podcast. Uh, my buddy Carl and I just two dudes with different perspectives on life growing up that ended up serving together for a few years, had a lot of respect and mm-hmm. like, like to have a conversation like this where we pick a topic that's pretty controversial and, mm-hmm. and have a conversation about it in a, try to be a, you know, a very open-minded way. Yeah. Uh, is, is, I think that's, that's the best do. way to do it. Yeah. 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 And then the clean water core, like we're still trying to push it forward and, and get it going. We're still doing work around the world. So if you're looking for uh, 
a group of people that have a common purpose and trying to make a positive difference in the world. You know, take a look at us, uh, Waves for Water and the Clean Water Corps. Cool. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Dude, yeah. Good to meet you both. Thanks for coming.